0: At one point or another, we've all had that experience where we've asked a question or we've begun a topic, and the person we're trying to get their attention, they answer in a totally different way. And we're like, Did you hear me? Or how did you get that from what I just asked you? A similar thing seems to be happening here with Jesus and the apostles. The Greeks, they want to see Jesus. They come to Philip, who has a Greek name. He's an apostle. But it was common even for Jews at that point in Galilee to how often have Greek names. And he goes to Andrew, who also has a Greek name. So they feel an affinity. The two of them go to Jesus and say, these Greeks, they want to see you. They want to talk with you. And Jesus seems to totally ignore their question. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen, amen, I say to you. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Such a response must have been uh, baffling to the apostles. We see this at other points in their conversations with Jesus. For instance, there's the, the time when James and John, they come Through their mother, the mother of the the sons of Zebedee, and they say, "Uh, We want to ask you for a favor that one of us may sit on your right and the other on the left when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus then begins to launch into a discussion about his sufferings. Can you drink the cup that I will drink? They ask for glory. He speaks of suffering. I, I think that the apostles must have come to the point where they sometimes maybe were a bit wary of asking Jesus something, not knowing where he would take it. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This phrase, the hour, runs throughout John's gospel almost like a refrain. We see it at the beginning of the gospel, where Jesus performs his first miracle, changing water into wine. Mary points out to him, they have no wine. Jesus says to her, what is this between you and me? My hour has not come. Here now we see near the end of Jesus' life, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Then he goes into speaking about his death in a kind of a parable form. That grain of wheat that falls into the ground so that it can produce a harvest is Jesus' own life which will be sown in the tomb and on the day of his resurrection will bring about the harvest among the nations. And so Jesus is actually answering their question by elevating. The fact that the Greeks are coming to Jesus is a sign that it is time for, the, for him to be planted, for him to die, so that the harvest can be reaped among the Gentile nations. Then another very odd phrase here in the Gospel. Whoever loves his life or loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. It might be misread to think that Jesus is in some way negating the goodness of this life, of the material world. In fact, in the early centuries of the church, there were some heretics who said, material world evil, spiritual world good. That would come from a misreading of this text. What Jesus is doing here is he's using a common uh, Hebraic um, formula where you state things in polar opposites, in order to emphasize something. Jesus is talking about whoever loves this life to the point of failing to see the next life. Whoever loves this life so much that that's only their horizon, they can't see beyond it, to the eternal life, will lose their life here and hereafter. But whoever hates his life, and here we can interpret this as whoever's willing to lay down the goods of this world, whoever's willing to give up the good things of this earth, in order for the eternal life, will actually find fulfillment here and in the hereafter. It's the great paradox that whoever tries to hoard, whoever tries to preserve what they have, loses it. But whoever in generosity gives, receives more than they give. Jesus is teaching his apostles that his laying down of his life for his friends is an example for how they are to lay down their lives for him and for others. This great moment of Jesus' suffering and his death on the cross, we see his humanity coming out in a particular way. The Gospels tell us about the various different emotions of Jesus. We see Him several times in the Gospels rejoicing or exalting in the Holy Spirit. In our second reading, though, today, from the letter to the Hebrews, we see Jesus crying and offering supplications. It says the beginning of that letter that we heard today, In the days when Christ Jesus was in the flesh, he offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. There are two accounts where Jesus cries in the Gospels. One is over his friend Lazarus. And the Jews notice and they say, See how he loved him. They see what a great friend Lazarus was to Jesus. The other time when Jesus cries is over the... uh, He foresees the coming destruction of Jerusalem because they have failed to recognize the Messiah. And he says, how I would have gathered you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not have this. That comes right at the beginning of Holy Week, that that observation of our Lord. And He cries over Jerusalem. Even today, when you go to the Holy Land, there is a place on the Mount of Olives that overlooks Jerusalem, and it's the traditional spot. It's called Dominus Flevi, the Lord cried, where Jesus, looking over Jerusalem, cried because of its impending destruction. But then we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane also. There it doesn't mention him crying or weeping, but it mentions him calling out from the depths of his heart to the Father. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In today's gospel, we hear him saying, I am troubled now, yet what should I say? Save me from this hour? But it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. Yet in those moments, immediately before his death, Jesus' human nature, as it were, wavers. His human nature groans at what he is going to go through. Sometimes we think that the divinity of our Lord made it easier. Well, his will was certainly more resolute. He was fortified by his union with the Father. But his humanity still nevertheless trembled before the fact of suffering. So keenly did he perceive what he was going to have to go through that his sweat became like blood, drops of blood falling on the ground. So much so was the interior anguish that he was already going through. The divinity in a real way And Jesus' perfect humanity, his pure humanity, actually made it possible for him to suffer more, not less. You see, our lack of seeing all of the the sufferings that we're going to have to go through uh, in some way shields us from the, the full weight of it. Whereas if we knew all the things we were going to have to go through, that would weigh on us. Jesus, foreseeing all that he's going to go through the next day, suffers more intensely. So his knowledge makes suffering more possible. Furthermore, sin dulls us. Sin makes it possible for us to not feel the full weight of what uh, the suffering that we're going through because of our sins. Jesus doesn't have that because of his pure, immaculate heart, he suffers the full weight of sin. He sees the full consequences of sin. Perhaps we've had the experience where somebody said something hurtful to us, but we didn't fully realize how deep the jab was until later, and then when we were reflecting on it, it hurt all the more. Jesus sees the depth of the rejection that sin causes, the isolation from God. And so the psychological pain of our Lord is far deeper even than the physical pain that He goes through. Jesus' humanity is far deeper than our humanity. Although being a divine person, He possesses our humanity to a more full degree than we, There is something about the suffering of our Lord that draws us to Him. Yes, His greatness, His teachings, His divine nature, but there's something about the humanity of our Lord that we ponder in these days that draws us to the love of God. Yes, His hour is coming. It is approaching. It is necessary. Are we willing to accompany Him To lay down our lives as well. To set aside the things that distract us, that cause us to love the world more than loving God. To enter into these days and to see the intense love of God as he draws near to us.